I'd like to recap a couple of things with you as to what we have been going through in the last number of weeks in the passage that we are going through today. Something that might be helpful, and I was only thinking about this during the week as I saw it, and I thought, well, that helps me, so maybe it might help others. On a Jewish calendar, a new day begins when the sun sets, not when it rises. Sort of helps with you when you're working out the days and the, the third days. And as I was on a devotion this morning of Charles Stanley, it was talking about Jonah and the and the big fish, etc., and the three days and the three nights. And it's helpful to understand that it's when the, the new day starts when the sun sets, not when it rises in the Jewish calendar. When we see each other, we often rightly ask, and it's a good thing, how's your week been? Let's keep doing that but we're going to see what Jesus' week was like. And it was something more than anyone could ever imagine, nothing like it before or after, nothing ever needed after also. On the Saturday and Sunday, a week before his crucifixion, Jesus approached Jerusalem, arriving in Bethany six days before the Passover. He was anointed at Simon the leper's house by a woman who Jesus said was preparing me for burial. Jesus knew that his time of death was near. As Daniel spoke about this in the last couple of weeks, it's a most unusual thing that that would be occurring before someone has passed. Even more that he knew it was going to happen. He communicated with his disciples over that time and their lack of understanding with regard to his time of death being near. On Monday, the next day, Jesus rode on a donkey into Jerusalem, known as his triumphal entry, fulfilling the prophecy from Zechariah 9.9. The people praised him despite his humble entrance. The entry into Jerusalem signified the beginning of the end. Jesus visited the temple and then returned to Bethany. It was on Nisan 10, Nisan being the month, when the Passover lambs were selected. Jesus' entry into Jerusalem on this day was how he presented himself as God's promised sacrificial lamb who would soon take away the sin of those who would believe. That was Monday. On Tuesday, he challenged the temple practice of selling on the premises and warned against dishonest and spiritual practices. Some of the religious leaders began to plot ways to kill him. So that evening, Jesus left Jerusalem, presumably returning to Bethany. On Wednesday, upon arriving at the temple in Jerusalem, Jesus' authority was questioned by the religious leaders. Still, that afternoon, Jesus went up to the Mount of Olives. He taught in parables and spoke about the signs of the end of the age. He told of destruction of wars persecution to come but also shared the hope of his return remember he hasn't gone anywhere yet but he's sharing about the hope of his return his disciples probably had little idea what he was speaking of but he instructed them to be on their guard also on that day jesus predicted that in two days he would be crucified at the time of the passover Accordingly, 
Judas planned the betrayal of Jesus with the religious leaders. The tension was rising and Jesus knew, yet he continued as he had before. Now we come to Thursday, which is what we're going to be looking at today. A little bit more background. The Garden of Gethsemane is a garden that sits at the base of the Mount of Olives. The name literally means oil press. The Mount of Olives is part of a mountain range that separates Jerusalem from the Judean desert. This particular mountain is the central peak and resembles a large rocky hill. It was once a place of many olive trees. Some are still there. And for those of you who are interested, you can find many modern day pictures of the Garden of Gethsemane. And obviously the tour buses and the tour guides go right beside that for obvious reasons because money to make, I assume. So it's a historical place. It's much more than just a place on a map in the land of Israel for those of us who believe. Jesus and his disciples prepared the Passover lamb and had their special cedar meal together and Jesus shared many things with them and prayed on their behalf. Now into verse 26 that Ruth was reading to us just before. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Jesus said to them, All of you, might be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will will deny me three times. But he spoke vehemently, if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said likewise. Just leave the reading there for a sec. I think sometimes we maybe forget that they all said likewise and we just go, oh, Peter really mucked this up. Peter, as the spokesman, had said these things and then couldn't back up his mouth with his actions. They all said likewise. We know who the shepherd was. Jesus had previously said that he was the good shepherd. He also referred to the Israelite people as sheep needing a shepherd. Jesus warned all the disciples that they would all be ashamed and afraid to be known as his followers in the hours ahead. And it also tells us that they all engaged in brash, self-confident assertions. It's, it's interesting when you read the same account in the other Gospels that record these things as well. Let us never forget that we're no different. We all must learn the weakness of our own hearts. Good intentions are good intentions. And it's good to have good intentions. All of them had good intentions at this time except Judas Iscariot. Good intentions are good, but we need to follow through and put it into action by God's strength. By God's strength. Ever notice that Jesus is talking to his disciples about being raised? 
and he hasn't even been arrested yet. He hasn't died yet and he's talking of being raised. At various times in Jesus' adult life, even as early as in John chapter 2, when Jesus turned the water into wine, he knew, and this phrase we're going to hear a few times now, my hour has not yet come. But he did acknowledge his hour would come. When he went up to Jerusalem privately for the Feast of Booths in John chapter 7, he knew, again it says, my time has not yet come. Once he began to teach publicly, it wasn't long before they were seeking to arrest him. But no one laid a hand on him, and you guessed it, because his hour had not yet come. In John chapter 8, during this same appearance in Jerusalem, he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. Jesus spoke a number of times, and when I was doing some searches about these very fact and these words the other day, I was refreshed to see how many times it said that that was the case. This included miracles being performed, people wanting to overthrow the Romans, as well as people trying to take and kill him. In John chapter 17, verses 1 to 3, Jesus spoke these words as he lifted his eyes up to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. We're heading to verse 32 now in our reading from today. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him and began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible to you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping and said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Let's leave the reading there for a sec. Funny, you know, there's a lot of people we know in life who may not read the Bible that will quote that same phrase to you. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Sometimes I wonder if they know where it comes from. Continuing on, after the meal, they arrived at the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus suffered in agony, waiting for what was to come. But his disciples kept falling asleep. Anyone remember really dreading something? Visit to the principal's office? Some people know what that's like. School exams? 
someone telling you maybe we need to talk. Nothing normally comes good after that. Sometimes we get a little bit of warning. Sometimes we get no warning. Sometimes it's a loss of something or someone important that happens as well. You see, having perfect knowledge, Jesus knew absolutely and in perfect detail exactly what was going to come. With great anguish, agony, torture and betrayal. Remember, Jesus left heaven for this. Jesus knew for literally ages, not like for a couple of days or a couple of years or a couple of even generations, shall we say, even a couple of hundred years. Jesus knew for literally ages what was ahead. Jesus knew that through what was coming, he would accomplish on the cross God's eternal plan, which had been formed with his full knowledge and his leading role. Remember, Jesus left heaven for this. Back to verse 39. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. When he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. My betrayer is at hand. You notice here that Jesus addressed God as his beloved Father with whom all things are possible. Could the Almighty Father find any other righteous basis upon which he could save ungodly sinners? The silent heavens indicated that there was no other way. The Holy Son of God must be the sacrifice so that sinners might be freed from sin. Gone to verse 43. And immediately while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one, seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I was daily with you in the temple teaching, and you didn't seize me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all forsook him and fled. Now a certain young man followed him, having a linen cloth thrown around his naked body, and the young men laid hold of him, and he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked." Later that night, as Jesus was betrayed and arrested, he would later be humiliated, degraded and made into a laughingstock just before he experienced the worst pain imaginable on the cross. 
being separation from God. See, Jesus would later die at the time when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed, fulfilling the scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 tells us, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. How many times do we read his hour had not yet come? And we thought about some of them before. Now the hour for which he came into the world had come. You know, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to sing lots of Christmas carols and hear lots of Christmas songs. One of which we sing is, Hark the herald angels sing, Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconcile. Mild he lays his glory by, born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing glory to the newborn king. It takes a little bit of reconciling, doesn't it, to be thinking about what everybody's celebrating at this time of the year, shortly, including us. The baby being born. But the purpose of that baby being born was not like the purpose of any other baby that has been born or will be born. I find it intriguing that the number of people who came out to Jesus says something very interesting. I take it to be that they see a perceived threat. When John chapter 18 and verses 4 to 8 tells us that Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. Jesus said, I am he. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them, John says. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for for me, then let these men go. Yet when he spoke, they fell back to the ground. They had a heap of people armed against a few people, not armed. Yet when Jesus spoke, they fell back to the ground because he said, I am he. Remember when we think of the many I am's that Jesus talks about in the Bible? I am the good shepherd. I am the door. Moses was told to tell Pharaoh that I am has sent me. It seems that the speaking of his title to these people and saying, I am to them, caused them to fall back because of his power. They only succeeded because his hour had come. 
Jesus foretells his own death, not just saying that one day I will die. We're not just saying um, I've been unwell or I'm going to die one day at the end of my long fruitful life or whatever you might like to call it. One day he was saying that he would foretell his own death and secondly he was anointed for his burial whilst he was still alive. John tells us a little bit more about Judas in this regard than what Mark's gospel does say. You see, Judas knew how to make a deal and make a dollar. And John chapter 12, verse 6 tells us, Judas said this, and this is when it says this, this is with regards to after the lady had used that year's worth of wages on that expensive ointment to put upon Jesus. John records that it was actually Judas that said, couldn't this have been sold and given to the poor? Mark just says that someone said, but John actually records that. And John says in chapter 12, verse 6, he said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. I thought that was um, quite intriguing as to remembering John and all this is being written after the event. You see, we comprehend tiny bits about emotional pain, about physical pain. We can think about things that might cause significant pain. You might have bad migraines. You might have very sore foot, like Mrs. Harris. You could have broken bones. You could have childbirth. Not meaning to say things to frighten people here. You could have terrible burns. You could have all kinds of things. And us guys even know about man flu. And apparently that's supposed to be bad, but the women know it's not really. You see, we can comprehend little bits about pain. We can comprehend little bits about mental anguish or things that might be coming up that we might dread. Jesus knew this before he left heaven. He knew this his whole life and he knew that one of his own would betray him. He knew that he would die. He knew how he would die and he knew when he would die. You see, God cannot look upon sin. Yet Jesus was going to take upon himself the sin of all who would believe. The anticipation of having complete and total knowledge of what lay ahead would be frightening. This wasn't just the sin of one or two people or even one or two hundred people or one or two thousand people. Remember that we read in the Bible about there being a place of eternal torment where people who don't know Christ and who've rejected God have to pay for their own sin. It goes on forever. And terrible torment. That's for each person. So the punishment that Jesus would take upon himself 
for all those who would believe was so much greater than we can ever possibly imagine. Jesus speaks about after I have been raised, before he was even arrested. Now, before we're too hard on the disciples falling asleep, no one has to put their hands up here, but I'll fess up. I've fallen asleep before when praying. I think most of us have at some point in time. We've started to get really sleepy, sometimes when we might be reading at night, or we might get a bit sleepy when we're praying. So don't be too hard on the disciples for that. But remember, there's things we can learn. Jesus died at the time when the Passover lambs were being sacrificed, fulfilling the Hebrew Scriptures. You see, all that was happening had previously been foretold. All the the way in which these things would occur, the way in which Jesus would ride into Jerusalem, as we read about in the last couple of weeks, the way in which the various things would occur, they weren't new, they weren't unknown, they were known very well. You see, Jesus knew what awaited him as the Passover neared. Yet he approached and endured the cross with confidence and with grace. See, Jesus did this for you and for you and for you and for you and for so many if you're a child of the Father. The last week of Jesus' life shows both his humanity and his divinity. We sang earlier, for me, it was in the garden. He prayed, not my will, but thine. He had no tears for his own griefs, but sweat drops of blood for mine. He took my sins and my sorrows He made them his very own. He bore the burden to Calvary and suffered and died alone. Then we had the chorus which said, How marvellous, how wonderful, and my song shall ever be. How marvellous, how wonderful is my Saviour's love for me. So this morning as we've been thinking about the things that occurred in the last week of Jesus' life, we've particularly been thinking about Thursday, remembering what's happened before. We remember as well, Jesus always knew his hour was coming and his hour did come. For Jesus, what a week it was. Friday is coming and we'll be considering that next week. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge your word, we acknowledge you, and we acknowledge how much we need you, and we acknowledge that we need your strength in all that we do. 
Lord, help us to draw strength from what our blessed Saviour has done for us. Help us to depend upon you and to walk with you each day because we know we need your strength. Just as we need to eat food to sustain our bodies, so we need to spend time with you to sustain our souls and our spirit. Lord, help us at this time to be able to share with others around about us why indeed Jesus did come. Thank you that he did come and thank you when his hour did come that he willingly offered himself as a sacrifice. So Lord God, we thank you for this time now and we thank you for your precious word and the wonderful sacrifice that you gave. In Jesus' name, amen.